You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but, w- but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, fitting and truthful and uh, uh, pertinent to all the things that we face in this life. We thank you that it is useful uh, for training and correcting and rebuking and teaching us so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We thank you, God, that uh, your word is true and steadfast, unchanging, and that through it and by your spirit and in your church, you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness through your son. So we pray that you'd help us to fix our eyes on him tonight as we open up your word together. May your spirit enlighten our hearts that we might know the blessings of God in Christ through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so one week left and 2020 is in the rearview mirror, right? Although, at this point, I don't think any of us would be shocked if there was some kind of loophole that that made it so that we had to like extend 2020 for another month, kind of like February gets another day every four years, right? If they came out and said that, we'd all be like, that's all right. It's about right. It's par for the course, right? It feels like, I'm sure that you feel this way, but it feels like uh, that we've gone through several years worth of trials and trauma in this past year. Okay, and that's just, that's just corporately. That, that, that's nationally and, and globally. On top of all of that, then add to, the, to, the, uh, to those things, our own personal things that we've dealt with uh, over this year, and I don't think anybody would be criticized for wanting to just crawl back into bed and pulling the covers over until January 1, right? 
But I love that at the end of each year, no matter what has happened leading up to it, that, that we have the opportunity to look back, not just over the past year, but back over 2,000 years ago when a thrill of hope entered the weary world and gave people reason to rejoice. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born into a world of suffering, into a world that was suffering from sin so that he could die, so that he could suffer and die and rise again to save people from their sins. But it's 2,000 years later, right? And we're still in a world suffering from sin. 2020 is like the epitome of that. And Jesus is no longer in this world. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at God's right hand. And that's the best place for him to be. That's the necessary place for him to be. It's ultimately for our good that he's there. But in a year like 2020, it can feel like when, when Jesus left this world, hope left with him. And we are just sitting here waiting for him to come back and bring hope back. We look back on the hope that came at, at, at Christmas and, and we uh, look forward to the, to the hope and the resurrection to come at Easter, but what about the rest of the year? What, what, what do we hold on to or how do we hold on to hope in the midst of the everyday brokenness and the weariness of our hearts? We, we need a daily reminder that the hope that dwelt among us in the flesh now dwells in us in the spirit. God's given us his spirit to minister to our hearts between what's known as the already and the not yet of our salvation and to give us assurance that what God began in us, he will complete in us. And so, so here's our, our, our main idea tonight. Because hope lives in us, we should live in hope. Because hope lives in us, we should live in hope. The spirit assures us that our suffering leads to glory because we've been adopted by the Father. Look back at verses 15 through 17 again. Paul says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit unites us with Christ as God's children through faith. Jesus is our brother. As children of God, we, united with Christ, we share in our brother's inheritance in the world to come as co-heirs of God with Christ. But did you catch what else Paul says there? We also share in the sufferings of Christ as human beings in this present world. We cry, Abba, Father. That ought to ring a bell for us, having gone through the gospel of Mark. We cry out, Abba, Father, because we entrust ourselves to God in the midst of our sufferings, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus also cried what? Abba, Father, asking God to remove the suffering that he was about to endure, but ultimately submitting himself nonetheless to the Father's will and entrusting himself to the Father's care. We know that God is good even though our sufferings are not, right? What's the, the phrase we've been kind of pounding into our minds and hearts? God is good and he does good. We need to remember that. And on top of that, we know that God is our Father even in the midst of our sufferings. 
The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children if we have put our faith in Christ. There's an intimacy with him that we can know in our sufferings, that that if you're not in Christ, you can't know in your sufferings. And the truth that we are God's children is foundational to our understanding of the sufferings that we go through. The, The assurance that the Spirit gives us that we are God's children enables us to draw closer to our Father in the midst of our sufferings rather than distancing ourselves further from him because we know that he is good and he does good. Our willingness to share in the, uh, in the sufferings of Christ affirms our adoption as sons and daughters of God and gives us evidence that his spirit actually does live in us. And it's his Holy Spirit who seats that assurance of adoption deep into our innermost being and gives us the hope uh, that our suffering leads to glory. The Spirit also understands our pain and he helps us put it into perspective. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. You know what I love about the Bible? Is that it encourages us to be honest about the difficulty of our sufferings, the things that we go through in this life, but it never lets us overestimate them. It's actually when we're honest about the, the degree of suffering that we endure that we're able then to have a truer gauge for the glory that will be revealed to us. When we think about the glory that's to come, we have no category for that, right? But we do have a category for suffering. And what does he say? It's not worth comparing. It may feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders now, but that weight will soon be swallowed up by the riches of God's grace to us in Christ that not even the cosmos can contain. When we measure the weight of our suffering relative to our ability to handle it, it feels crushing, doesn't it? But when we measure the weight of the glory to come relative to the weight of our suffering now, that glory bottoms out the scale so forcefully that it catapults our suffering into the abyss. This is what Paul's talking about. It's not even worth comparing. He's not diminishing the suffering. He's just trying to help us see the glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17 says, again, this is Paul, indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. I love how he stacks those adjectives. The culminating glory of God's creation will be the release of bondage to decay and the revelation of all those whom he's created in Christ and adopted as his sons and daughter. The entire creation, including human beings, was subjected to futility by God because of Adam's sin in the garden. It's part of the curse. His his sin caused God to curse all of creation. But do you notice that God, when he cursed all of creation, he didn't do it without also offering hope of renewal? Renewal. 
And that renewal, that hope, was through the promised seed of Eve who would come and what? Crush the Satan, crush the Satan, crush the serpent, who is the Satan, crush his head. Jesus is the seed who came at Christmas. This is what we celebrate. His heel was bruised on the cross by the serpent's sting of death, but he crushed the serpent's head when he conquered death and rose from the grave. This is why creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Renewal began in the Garden of Eden with the promise of God. It picked up speed at the empty tomb, and it's ramping up to a glorious conclusion when Christ returns for all of those whom the Father has given to him. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The world is pregnant with the promise of renewal. This is what Paul's saying. And the labor pains remind us that renewal is not far off. COVID-19 is a labor pain. It's a labor pain that causes creation to groan. We had the most active Atlantic hurricane season on record in 2020. It's a labor pain that causes creation to groan. Every evidence of decay and death that we see and hear and destruction is a labor pain in a groaning world. And with each labor pain, with each groan, we who have hope, yes, we hear the cries. Yes, we hear the mornings. Yes, we hear the, the, the shouts for, for it to end. But we also ought to be hearing in the midst of the labor pains, here he comes. Here he comes. Get ready. Renewal is coming. And we who have tasted the first fruits, as Paul says, of this renewal through the indwelling spirit. That's, that's, this is the, the down payment we learned in Ephesians of our inheritance to come. We also groan with creation and eager expectation for the day when our deliverance will finally be complete. There's an end. It's coming. And it's glorious for all of us who are in Christ. We can't wait for that day when our bodies will be finally renewed. When we won't have any more aches and pains. When the the curse and all of its effects are finally physically lifted from us and we are fully released As believers in Christ, we now have the status of adoption. We are God's children. That never changes. That never changes. But we haven't fully received all of the benefits of being adopted. We have an inheritance that's waiting for us. We don't yet have resurrected and glorified bodies. This is what's known as the already and the not yet that I mentioned at the beginning. Paul says that our groans are inward. They're within ourselves as we eagerly wait for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Our inward groans are these inaudible expressions of frustration with the way things are and this longing for final deliverance. Now, we certainly groan outwardly, right? Has anybody not complained in 2020? You don't want a lump of coal in your stocking. 
But Paul's talking about groaning that's deep in our souls. It's an inward groaning that mourns over the futility of this present world and, and calls it what it is, but also eagerly beckons the new world to come. Our inward groans are expressions of this deep-seated hope, not misery, hope. Look at verse 24. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We were saved in this hope when we heard the gospel of our salvation in Jesus Christ and we believed it. Jesus himself is the hope by which we have been saved. He's the hope in which we have been saved. And we now wait for our blessed hope, as Titus says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we see what we hope for, we have no more need for hope, right? You may be wishing for something, and and hopefully tomorrow you're going to unwrap it and see it, right? If not, you just be like, 2020, (laughs) right? But what happens? When you hope for it and you open up the present, you see it, where's your hope go? You don't need it anymore because you have the thing, right? So because we know that we will one day see what we hope for, even though we can't see it in full now, we eagerly wait for it with patience is what Paul says. Why? Because it's guaranteed to come. We don't have to doubt it. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Galatians 5.5 5 says, For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. Eagerly waiting for what we do not yet see does not ignore the reality of what we do see right now. Right? But it does change how we view our current reality. We endure it with patience. We see it as light and momentary, as counter-logical that would be to the world. And we're able to do that because patience is a fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit that we've been given to dwell in us. He doesn't just sit there twiddling his thumbs waiting for the inheritance. He works. He's got a job to do. And he lives in us and he longs with us because he understands our need. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't always know God's specific will and purpose for our suffering, right? We don't know why we get a a certain disease or why something happens unexpectedly, accidents or things like that. I don't think any of us has a clue what's going on in 2020. 
We have some guesses. We can certainly deduce some things because God is good and he does good, right? But it's hard to know how to pray sometimes or exactly what to pray for when we suffer in these ways. But even when we don't know what to pray for as we should, the fact that we want to pray for God's will to be done is evidence that the Spirit is already working in us. The Spirit's unspoken groanings within us are heard by God because it's God's Spirit who groans. And God always grants the Spirit's request because the Spirit always knows what to pray for. And He always prays on our behalf according to God's will. And what is God's will? What is it that the Spirit is groaning for? It's the renewal of all things. It's the completion of the plan. It's for God to finish what he started. The Spirit's not only given to us as a sign of this hope, as a down payment for what's to come, but the Spirit is given to us as a sustainer of this hope. I find it comforting to know that the Lord isn't waiting on my words in order to answer my prayers. Maybe more so in 2020 than ever before. And yet, you and I are still instructed to pray because prayer focuses our minds and our hearts on God and his ability to bring about all his will in all the things. But when we're at a loss for words, God's own spirit dwelling within us intercedes on our behalf. God not only knows our hearts, but he knows our sufferings. Aren't you glad he sees both things? Aren't you glad he knows? He understands both than, better than we ever will. And because of that, he always knows how to pray for us. And the Father always knows how to answer. It's also comforting to know that God himself longs for the renewal of all things. And this is an important point, maybe one of the most important ones for us to remember tonight. God longs for the renewal of all things. He's not just sitting here waiting idly by, laughing at us as we suffer along. God yearns for it to be final and complete He's not callous to our suffering or unrelenting in it, even though he's the one who subjected us to it through the curse of sin. Listen to Lamentations 3.31 through 33. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. The English Standard Version says he does not afflict from his heart. We just talked about this last Sunday. God's heart is mercy. Thomas Brooks was an old English Puritan preacher from the 1600s, so you know he's, he knows what he's talking about. God takes no delight to, affect his, uh, to afflict his children, Brooks says. It goes against the grain of his heart. It grieves him to be grievous to them. It pains him to punish them. And it's like death to him to strike them. He has no inclination or no disposition to the work of afflicting them. We need to remember that even though God has subjected the world to futility, he didn't do so without the promise of renewal because mercy flows from his heart even when judgment comes from his hand. 
The futility won't last for his children, but the glory will never end. This is a, a, a truth that we need to wrap our minds around more and more. Even as the Lord longs for the renewal of all things and the fulfillment of all his promises, we must not mistake his patience in our suffering as a vindictive prolonging of it. Why? Because he sent Christ at the exact right time. The first time while we were still sinners. And he died for our sins. And he'll send Christ at the exact right time the second time to gather all his people and end our suffering. God patiently awaits for the final redemption of his children in order to continue to give people the opportunity to turn to him in faith right now. His merciful heart longs for them to do so. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And as those who have come to repentance, putting our faith in Christ, we can endure suffering and share the gospel with others as we wait patiently because we know that it's coming to an end. And we now share the Father's heart for the lost. And because the Spirit helps us anchor our hope to this grand redemptive plan that the Father has put in place. Look at verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What Paul says in these three verses is a concise summary of our hope. And I love how he frames it up with the phrase, we know. Not we think, not we wish, we know. This is a surety that we have as believers in Christ. We can know the why of our suffering. It, along with everything else, is for our good. Our suffering is never without purpose. In fact, because we're God's children, all of our suffering is for the sole purpose of conforming us to Christ. This is what he says in verse 29. It's never for our punishment. It's always for our transformation in Christ. That's the, that's the good for which he works all things together on our behalf. Our conformity to Christ brings us deeper fellowship with the Father and deeper joy in the Spirit in the midst of our sufferings. And the Father desires deeper fellowship with us and to give us deeper joy in the Spirit so he continues to conform us to his Son. This is what he's doing. From before the foundation of the world and on into the glory of eternity, God has planned all things for the good of his children. And he works all things according to his redemptive plan. Verse 30 reveals the entirety of God's redemptive plan from start to finish in that one short sentence. He chose us in his son and saved us through his son so that he can glorify us with his son, our brother, Jesus Christ. And even though we have yet to be glorified, we have yet to receive new bodies, 
and be in his presence forever. Paul is so certain that God will do and fulfill the, the entirety of his plan that he speaks of our glorification in the past tense as if it's already happened. Why? Because there's no way it won't. God has already decreed it, and his decree cannot be overturned. We'll go back to Ephesians 1. We've been here a couple weeks ago, verses 4 through 6. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Go down to verses 13 and 14. In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Our present hope is firmly set in the concrete determination of God from eternity past and his guaranteed completion of it in eternity to come. Christian hope is an eager expectation of the guaranteed fulfillment of all of God's promises to us in Christ. And God's given us his spirit to anchor our hope into his redemptive plan and his ability to carry it out to completion. The Christmas spirit is alive and well because the Christmas spirit is the spirit of God who dwells in us. Lives in us as children of God who are eagerly waiting for the glory of God while we suffer in the brokenness of this world. The way to glory is through suffering. We can't go around it. This is what Paul says. This is what God calls us to. Jesus himself says it multiple times. But the way through suffering is eager expectation with hope, with joy, with patience. But we don't have to produce this hope. Aren't you glad? God has given it to us through his indwelling spirit. The Holy Spirit is our thrill of hope in a weary world. So we can look back with joy at the hope that was revealed in Christ's birth and we can look forward with eager expectation to the glory that will be revealed to us. But let's not forget the hope that remains in the here and now with us while we wait with patience and endure the light and momentary sufferings of this present time. Because hope lives in us, we should live in hope. And that means that we live in fellowship with the Spirit who lives in us, marveling at the evidence and assurance that He gives us that we've been adopted by the Father as His children, taking comfort in knowing that He understands our pain, and He feels it with us, and He groans with us. And depending on His power to bring eternal completion to what God began before the foundations of the world. Whatever 2021 has in store, it's probably not going to fix all that 2021 screwed up. And it most certainly will have its own share of labor pains. But with each one we endure, we can also be assured that renewal is coming. It's on its way. So as we celebrate our Savior's birth once again this Christmas, let's do so in the hope that was birthed in us through faith 
in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Let's proclaim this gospel of hope to a weary world as we suffer patiently alongside those who are in despair. Let's eagerly wait with great anticipation for the day when hope is no longer needed. Why? Because we'll see what we've hoped for face to face. And we will bow in worship. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the glorious hope that we have in Christ. We thank you that you have not left us here to wait on our own, but you've given us your spirit to live in us and help us patiently wait with eagerness for your plan of redemption to come to its fruition. We thank you for the blessed hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that one day our hope will be sight and we'll have no more need for hope. Until then, God, would you strengthen us with your spirit, grow our love for you in the midst of the suffering, remind us that you are good and you do good, and help us to bring glory to your son who's rescued us from ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.